This is Science Drives and Wellness Steers, Season 2. I'm your host, Allie. When I was in school, the most unhelpful and frequent thing I was told was she'd do so great if she just focused. The thing I never heard was how to focus. So I've dedicated my career to helping parents and educators do better. Moving from just pay attention to let me teach you how to pay attention. Let me teach you how to harness the superpowers of your brain. I've been the clinical director and therapist for Magnificent Minds for over a decade and have been supporting teachers, parents, and therapists of neurodivergent kiddos for even longer. Professionally, I'm admittedly an eclectic mix with formal training in counseling psychology and behavioral sciences. I don't fit neatly into a box, which I guess is something I have in common with the spectacularly unique kiddos I support. I combine my love of science with my connection to the pursuit of wellness and find myself at the midpoint of behavioral science and mental health, looking through the lens of neurodiversity. I'm a hippie at heart, avoiding pseudoscience, gluten, and ableism. I'm a political advocate and a passionate writer who is not afraid to have hard conversations. I'm a sometimes all over the place, not always put together mom of three, entrepreneur, and a wife who was voted most likely to speak out of turn in just about every year of elementary school, which surprises no one who knows me. You can look up my business at magnificentminds.ca or do a full social media stalking on Instagram at magminds, on TikTok at therapymagminds, on my blog, of course in my podcast, or even sign up to receive monthly updates via my newsletter. But don't worry, spam isn't my jam. Thanks for taking a bit of time and joining my community. I look forward to going on this journey with you. Okay. Today what we're doing is we are talking about connections. So you're joining me on a unscripted, very unscripted discussion of connection as a tool for pursuing self-regulation with our clients in that therapeutic alliance and also with our own children in that family unit that we have. So we're talking about connection as a way to um, promote and also sort of coach our kids through self-regulation. So what you may already know is that, you know, in the building of self-regulation skills, we start at what we call co-regulation, and then we ultimately move to self Regulation. So co-regulation, as the name suggests, is the idea that our kids, in order to regulate, you know, they need to, they need to move through the process of regulation alongside a regulating partner. So co-regulation, right? And that we work together, right? We are partners in regulation. This starts from infancy, right? So from the time that our babies cry and, you know, we support them through regulating their emotions by bouncing them and, you know, singing to them and talking to them and rocking them and all those things we do, maybe nursing them, we are supporting co-regulation, right? They're using our energy, our presence as a way to soothe and as a way to regulate their own feelings, whether they're sadness, anger, whatever it is. So 
in talking about co-regulation, what we're really talking about is, you know, how we show up for the child that we're working with, or, you know, whether that's in a therapeutic relationship or, you know, in our own family, how we show up for them in a way that is calm um, and in a way that is really neutral, right? That we're not being emotionally reactive or, you know, that we're not judging the emotions that they're holding um, or really also becoming triggered by those emotions. So, you know, the analogy that I have heard um, often that I did not, I can't take credit for it, but it's brilliant, is that, you know, when we are co-regulating, right, we are allowing our kids to borrow our calm, right? So we're lending our calm in a moment of escalation. So we are giving up some of our regulation in exchange for, you know, helping them come back down. Um, and of course, you know, if you're a parent and you've been through moments of dysregulation with your child, or, you know, you're, you're a therapist or, you know, even a teacher who has worked through intense emotions or, you know, behavioral challenges with their kids, you already know, right, that showing up and holding space and, and being calm is difficult because of trigger points, but it's also difficult even in absence of trigger points to do for a sustained period of time, right? Like it is draining and it really takes a lot of energy for us to be able to show up in that neutral and calm way. And I think the analogy of lending our calm, you know, is really, really on point because it sort of also says that, yes, you know, we're gonna lend a bit of our calm um, in order to, you know, move the self-regulation in the right direction and help our, our client or our kiddo, you know, return to baseline or return to regulated. But in doing that, right, we're giving up a little bit of our own calm, right? It's not just that we're lending it and eventually going to get it back. It's that we're actually giving a little away, right? So so yes, of course, we're lending it in the moment, but we also have to realize that after, right, this is why it's hard to do co-regulation for a really long time if we don't fill up our own cup at the end of it or intermittently throughout it. Why does this matter? Um, because sometimes behavioral episodes or, you know, emotional episodes can last for a really long time. You know, tantrums can, you know, last over an hour. Meltdowns, you know, they can, they can last even longer. Um, and when we're trying to work through these big feelings with our kids or with our clients, we have to be really mindful that this idea of co-regulation really requires a lot from us just the way that it requires a lot from the kiddo that we're supporting. And that's important because we need to be able to give ourselves some grace, right? To be able to say, you know, I don't think I have it in me to hold space in this moment neutrally and without judgment for the full duration of this hour or however long this behavioral episode or emotional episode is going to go for. And knowing that, right, we give ourselves permission to step away if we need to and, you know, assuming it's safe to do so, whether that means tag teaming in and out with, you know, your partner or your spouse or another caregiver in your home, or whether that means, you know, tag teaming in and out of, you know, crisis de-escalation in the workplace, you know, with another therapist, another teacher, a supervisor, anybody that has that same therapeutic alliance with the client and can give you a moment to sort of recalibrate fill up your cup again, and then be able to go back in and lend your calm again. Um, when we don't do that, right, that's when we start to um, be faced with these triggers in the moment that, you know, we sort of held it together for however long, our cup became completely empty, we responded, right, we're sorry, we reacted instead of responded, and, you know, we became emotionally reactive or triggered or whatever it was, and suddenly we weren't able to, you know, show up and hold space in the way we wanted to. 
when we do that, right? Because it happens to the best of us, we're hard on ourselves, right? And we're hard on, you know, ourselves during, you know, the actual episode and, and we, you know, feel badly about it and maybe we're angry with ourselves. And then we're hard on ourselves after thinking, you know, I shouldn't have lost my cool. I shouldn't have yelled. I shouldn't have whatever. So we play this, you know, blame game. And ultimately, you know, self-reflection is great. And, you know, it's great to be able to look back and think, oh, you know, that was helpful versus that wasn't helpful. Um, but we also have to have the perspective to know, okay, you know, perhaps I should have stepped out or I should have recognized my own signs of, you know, my cup being empty, um, stepped out for a minute to fill my cup up again, and then step back in so that I can con continue to lend my calm in that moment. Um, and, it, and you know, ultimately, the reason that this all matters is because, you know, and what's at the core of what we're talking about today is that connection fuels self-regulation, right? So the more connected we are, the more I'm able, and you are willing, right? I'm able to hold space, and well, I'm able to lend my calm, and you are willing to allow me to hold space for you, and you are willing to, you know, willing to borrow my calm. Um, in absence of that connection, you know, we see we see butting heads, or we see, you know, just an inability to even use co-regulation effectively. Um, and, and that really, I think, is, is the major thing that that is, is important when it comes to developing self-regulation is to be able to have a really strong, you know, relationship and connection that facilitates co-regulation so that you can ultimately move to that next step, which is self-regulation, right? Where you remove yourself as, you know, the, you know, the variable that is responsible for self-regulation. You essentially um, teach your kiddo how to do it on their own when you're not there or, you know, when another caregiver with whom they're, you know, really well connected or another therapist with whom they're really well aligned is also not there. The whole idea here is that self-regulation has to be, you know, on your own. Self-regulation, it's in the name, right, that I can do it independently. And that's a process. That's a process for kids, of course. That's a process for many of us as adults as well. But when we understand the process to get there, right, it allows us to lean in, right, and, and capitalize on teachable moments and, and also give ourselves grace when, you know, skill deficits emerge or even, you know, skill gaps emerge as well. So connection, it fuels self-regulation connection is a strong relationship, right? It's, it's getting each other. It's when, you know, you just, you click, you know, you understand each other, you feel mutually like, you know, the other person, you know, the, the, the pair of you or, you know, the group of you will show up for each other when it's needed. And, you know, how we establish that, you know, it has me thinking about, you know, principles like attachment, right? So secure attachment, feeling securely attached to your caregiver. It's really important when it comes to self-regulation for our kiddos, you know, being able to, you know, separate from caregivers also requires a good amount of, you know, secure attachment. All of these things also require the ability to, you know, regulate, self-soothe in absence of that caregiver. So while this may evolve over the years, right, um, you know, the expectation for self-regulation at two is, is far different than it is, you know, at 12 or 22. Um, ultimately, there are times where, you know, even young kiddos are going to have to self-regulate to some extent. Um, you know, you drop, you know, you have a secure attachment, let's say, and you drop your kiddo off at um, 
daycare and you leave, right? They have big emotions. They have big feelings. So there's one of two ways that they're going to go about dealing with that. They're either going to, you know, find another adult that they have an attachment with and borrow their calm, right? And engage in co-regulation. Or, you know, maybe they haven't built that, you know, therapeutic relationship or that connection with any adults in daycare yet, right? Maybe it's a new daycare. And so in that case, right, then they're going to practice. They're kind of going to be thrown in the deep end where they really have to practice self-regulation independently. And of course, there will be other people there, right? Grownups, caregivers, all of that, that will support them in any way that they can. But it certainly won't be as meaningful as co-regulation that occurs with that really strong and solid connection. So, you know, how do we establish connection with our kiddos? Well, it really depends on their needs. Um, and it's not a one and done, right? It's, it's an evolution. And the connection you have with your child, you know, from infancy, where you're essentially the, you know, the, the feeder, the bum wiper, um, you know, the safety keeper, um, you know, that evolves. And then you become, you know, the playmate, you know, the, you're still all of the other things are still the feeder, the bum wiper, the safety keeper, but then you're also, you know, the friend, the confidant, the, you know, all of these different roles that we play, you know, as our kids age and all of these, of course, color that connection, right? And they impact, you know, how connected we are. I think it's important too to say that, you know, just because you're connected doesn't mean, you know, or just because your kiddo has a secure attachment doesn't mean that, you know, they're automatically going to just jump when you say jump, right? There's that natural pushback that happens in relationships. And even in a connected or securely attached relationship, there's going to be a bit of push and pull. There's going to be boundary testing. And all of this is, you know, to be expected. And at most developmental stages, this is expected you know, on one level or another. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of my opening thoughts, my, you know, um, my two cents on connection as the fuel, right, the fuel for self-regulation. And, you know, really what that means is that, you know, connection is what's driving that ability to self-regulate. Why? Because it first starts with co-regulation, right? So connection fuels co-regulation first. And then through that connection, that's how you bridge the gap from co-regulation where they're dependent on you or another caregiver to, you know, being able to regulate on their own, you know, by themselves, literally as the name suggests. So co-regulation, right? We're talking a lot about it. So let's define it for ourselves. Okay. Let's make sure we truly understand what co-regulation is. And let's also, you know, mention that co-regulation does not just exist in the, you know, mother, child, father, child, caregiver, child relationship, or even just the therapist child relationship, right? Co-regulation can occur even in adulthood, you know, sometimes we, you know, we benefit from having somebody else hold space for us as grownups. Sometimes we benefit, right, from being able to, you know, co-regulate. The difference is that in adulthood, hopefully we also have the capacity to self-regulate. Um, and then in that, in that case, right, maybe we have a preference for co-regulation. Maybe, you know, we, you know, we prefer to be able to have strong feelings with, you know, someone we really care about and love there to support us through it. Um, but ultimately, you know, ideally, once we get to the point of, of adulthood, we aren't dependent on that co-regulation. It is, you know, maybe a nice addition to, you know, how we process our emotions and feelings. Um, but ideally, right, it's not something that we are dependent on or else we find ourselves in this, you know, codependent relationship cycle where we are required, you know, we're, we're you know, required to have this, you know, 
this connection in order to regulate, which, you know, connection is important. We all need it for balance, but ideally, right, we can take some of the responsibility for regulating, at least in some settings and in some capacities. So we have that balance. So we don't ever become, you know, codependent on a particular person. Um, you know, in childhood, of course, our children are, you know, to some extent codependent on their grownups, of course, right? Like we, you know, we're the, the food givers, the bum wipers, the safety keepers, all of those things that, that makes sense, right? And in the hierarchy of the relationship, that's fine. Um, but as we age, of course, we want to be able to, you know, provide, you know, those assurances for ourselves, right? Be independent. We want to be the, you know, in charge of our own safety. We want to be responsible for our own bum wiping and, and eating and drinking and all of those good things that come along with, you know, aging and an adulthood and, and empowerment ultimately too. So what is co-regulation? It's when your presence, right, or your energy, and I don't really love the word energy because it feels a little woo-woo, but I think you know what I mean, right? It's like the, it's the presence um, supporting another person in regulating their emotional state. So by just being there, right? Sometimes co-regulation doesn't require you to do anything at all. It's just literally being in the room, you know, make someone feel safe, make someone feel comfortable, make someone at ease or whatever it is, right? So that is, you know, that is co-regulation when your presence or energy is sort of the variable that, you know, informs how they are able to regulate or not regulate. Um, co-regulation specifically, um, and, you know, also self-regulation, but, you know, we'll, we'll take a step back to like our, our step one here at co-regulation requires you to acknowledge emotions um, non-judgmentally, right? So if we're showing up and co helping a kiddo co-regulate, holding space, you know, working, coaching them through a meltdown or, you know, a really big behavior, we're showing up non-judgmentally. We are not, um, you know, we are not criticizing. Um, we are not even really overthinking the emotion. You're just showing up neutrally, right? There's, there's nothing at stake. We show up neutrally and compassionately and in a way that is mindful of what's happening without being without feeling like we need to fully understand it or without feeling like we need to rationalize, right? So, you know, it might be unreasonable for, you know, your three-year-old to have a complete tantrum, right? That lasts for over an hour over the color of their cup. Um, but if we're showing up and we're helping them co-regulate, right? We're not trying to rationalize. We're not showing up in a way that judges the feelings and says, well, you know, I'm here to hold space for you, but, right? There's no but, it's just showing up without any, you know, preconceived notions without any um, agenda, right? We're really just showing up to hold space and, and to be, you know, the anchor for them and to, and to lend our calm. The other thing that I think is important when we are talking about helping kids co-regulate um, and self-regulate ultimately is that we're not just talking about bringing them down, right? We're not just talking about bringing them back down to baseline. So we're not just talking about helping them work through anger, right? So co-regulation uh, and self-regulation ultimately is also how we help them understand what their body needs. So they do they need to upregulate, right? Are they, you know, low energy? Are they bored? Are they disengaged? Or do they need to, you know, downregulate? You know, are they having really, really extreme emotions and, you know, maybe reactions? maybe excitement, maybe anger, and do they need to come back down? So remembering too, while we're regulating and co-regulating, um, that, you know, we do this, we co-regulate not just to bring kids back down to baseline, but to find that happy medium of whatever they need. So whether they need to be energized, whether they need to, you know, calm down and relax, or whether they need some combination of, you know, different kinds of input or, you know, activities that are going to help them, you um, 
just focus, right? Or attend or whatever it is that they need in that moment. So, you know, remembering that self-regulation and co-regulation are not just about calming kids down, right? It's also about just helping them achieve balance ultimately. Um, and the reason for this is that, you know, a lot of the time we find that our kids lack the, the self-awareness. So we need to help them with this, right? We have to help them build self-awareness through co-regulation. You know, we can label their feelings. Oh, you know, I can see your feeling, whatever it is, or, oh, you know, your body is telling me that, um, I don't know, your cheeks are flushed. That tells me maybe you're feeling a little bit angry, anxious, whatever it is. Oh, your, you know, your body is showing me that it's a little fidgety and, and moving a lot around a lot right now. You know, that tells me that you might be feeling this or needing this. Um, so really building that self-awareness. And we do this because when we don't, you know, and, and our kids without these skills tend to default to these ping-ponging patterns of self-regulation, right? So, you know, they rely on hitting their, their peak of their escalation, their tantrum or their, you know, their peak emotions as a way to regulate. And that's because hitting a peak emotion, like a tantrum or, you know, screaming, whatever it is, um, you know, that releases, that releases endorphins in them, you know, that releases maybe, you know, stress hormones, whatever it is that, you know, can be a cue to their body that they're coming down the other end of their emotional escalation. Um, we don't want that, right? We don't want them to feel like they have to peak in order to regulate. We wanna teach them ways to regulate, um, whether it's, you know, upregulate or downregulate at any level of their escalation, you know, any emotion that they're feeling that they don't wanna feel anymore um, or any bodily experience, right? That they don't wanna feel anymore, whether it's, you know, feeling jittery, right? Feeling like they're, you know, they can't sit in their seat properly, sit it feeling like their tummy is, you know, full of butterflies or, you know, that they're just really, really angry and they need to throw something, whatever it is, right? We want to give them the tools to either upregulate or downregulate in order to move towards whatever they want to feel like. You know, sometimes our kids just want to feel mad because it feels good to just have that release. That's okay. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying that we want to give them the options, right? We want to allow them to have the self-awareness to know where they are and also what they need so that they're not in this constant pattern of ping-ponging right between zero and a hundred and their sort of emotional continuum um, because that's stressful right and the more time we spend in these elevated states of stress or escalation right the worse it is for our bodies the worse you know the harder it is on us um, you know we release more cortisol there's there's all of these you know there's all of these reactions it's like a, you know a, a domino effect right where you know the more cortisol you release you know there's long-term implications you know you might have a, a lower um lower immune system, you might, you know, be at risk of like GI issues, all kinds of things that we want to avoid just by, you know, developing a, a regulated state that is sort of our baseline. We want to spend more time regulated, right, than we do dysregulated for, you know, our body health and our, you know, mental health, but also just because it allows us to get through our day, right, with greater ease, better quality of life, all these good things. The thing that I think too is, 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 you know, valid to say at this point is that when we are working through, you know, regulation issues, emotions, behaviors, however you want to, you know, frame it, we don't need to understand fully um, or even agree fully with the experience perspective or even worldview of the person that we are, you know, showing up for, holding space for, or, you know, co-regulating with or you know even possibly supporting through self-regulation if it's not strictly speaking co-regulation um you know sometimes parents or teachers or even professionals you know they hit this wall where they say i don't know how i can hold space in this moment or show up neutrally for this 
you know, this kiddo when what they're arguing about or they're upset about or whatever is just irrational, right? And that's often the case when it comes to, you know, managing anxieties, worries, fears. Um, you know, to a third party, you know, the source of the issue might seem really irrational, um, but that's the nature of, you know, <laughs> that's the nature of emotions, right? They, they, they are true for the person experiencing them, whether it is a, you know, irrational thought, um, you know, an automatic negative thought, a, you know, um, whatever, right? Whether they're engaging in some kind of uh, cognitive distortion, right? That's common in anxiety, um, you know, um, overgeneralization, whatever it is, right? And the idea here is that to regulate um, alongside a kiddo or co-regulate with them in partnership, we don't need to, you know, fully understand or even agree with what is going on with them internally. We just need to show up and hold space. And then after the fact, right, that's where we can go in and try to help with perspective building. Um, and that really does make all the difference when it comes to working through those big, um, those big feelings and, and those, those moments where, you know, tension is high. Um, so again, right, while I may not agree with the reason, right, that or the antecedent or the trigger of the behavior, right, I may not, I may not, I can't, maybe I can't relate, um, but I can still show up and hold space. And I think this is, um, this is a valuable lesson, not just in our relationship with our kids, but also how we approach, you know, other people um, when it comes to the political climate right now, when it comes to, you know, just connecting with other human beings on a human being level and not needing to agree, right, on political stance, on, you know, whatever, whatever it is that is the pain point. We don't need to agree on everything to be able to show up for each other and be, you know, compassionate and support, you know, co-regulation or to just hold space as human beings existing on the planet earth. Um, anyway, I realize I just diverted a little bit, but I feel like with everything going on in the world right now, that's important to say, right? I can show up empathetically. Um, I can validate your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts um, without agreeing. Um, and that's just, that's just, you know, that's just a fact. You don't, you don't need to necessarily agree with with every aspect of someone's argument in order to show up and, and be respectful and, um, you know, hold space, so to speak. Um, yeah, so so that's, you know, that's, that's at least the first chunk of what I wanted to say, I think, where we're changing the narrative, right? And we're saying that it's important to coach our kids or to, you know, show up for people we're in relationships with from a place of compassion so that we understand their needs when it comes to self-regulation. Um, but, you know, we're also changing the narrative a little bit and saying that, you know, we don't need to agree to be able to, um, you know, find resolution in the fact that, you know, we, you know, we're all humans here. We all have emotions. We, you know, we don't have to agree on the nuances of what causes our escalation or, you know, the importance of the cup color, you know, that caused the tantrum for your three girls. You don't have to agree on that um, in order to show up and hold space and maintain that connection. Um, all of this is really important. Um, and so in saying all of this, right, we're also saying that as we pursue co-regulation or self-regulation, um, as we pursue regulation in general, right? Um, we have to acknowledge that, you know, in the varying viewpoints with respect to how we perceive life events, situations, political, personal, whatever it is, we also need to realize that balance for me might look a little different than balance for you. And balance when it comes to how we achieve, you know, the 
state of regulation for ourselves, um, you know, which antecedent or proactive strategies we're implementing in order to, you know, maintain regulation or, you know, to be really concrete, how we decide, you know, or if then contingencies. So if I feel mad, then I can, you know, go for a walk. If I feel anxious, then I can talk to my mom. If I feel um, happy, then I can dance or whatever it is, right? The way that we frame or establish these if-then contingencies in a way that supports self-awareness and ultimately moving from, you know, co-regulation to self-regulation um, is all about balance, right? How do we achieve balance and how do we either up-regulate or down-regulate contingent on whatever we need in the moment? So through self-awareness building, we are able to build these habits, right? We are able to become fluent in understanding our own internal body cues. Um, you know, the way we respond to certain situations, the thoughts we have, um, the physical sensations that we have in our body that help us indicate, you know, how we're feeling in a given moment, um, emotionally speaking, right? And so we realize through all of this that that balance for me, you know, for mom and my family might look different than balance for dad um, and balance for my kiddos might look different. What this means, practically speaking, is that your if then, right, your if I feel this, then I can do this type relationships that you want to establish or contingencies you want to establish for your kids and helping them build their toolbox of coping strategies has to be individualized. And so the pitfall here, I think that I see a lot in schools or even in, you know, therapy programs where they have an amazing multidisciplinary team, you know, the one thing that is often missed is that these, these toolboxes of strategies that are developed to pursue balance, right, to pursue this, if I feel this, then I can do this type of dynamic are not individualized enough. And they really need to be because it's not there's a blanket way to pursue balance, right. And you know, it's it's also nuanced for the individual to beyond just everyone has their own way to pursue balance. It's also that, you know, what I need today to pursue balance might be different from what I need tomorrow to pursue balance. And it all has to do with, you know, how we're feeling. What did we, you know, how did we sleep? All of these variables that impact how emotionally reactive we are versus how we're able to, you know, respond, right? So there's always this, this push and pull between, you know, reacting to situations that happen from a place of emotional, you know, reactiveness or responding from a place of, you know, more mindfulness where, you know, we feel the emotions, but we're able to have that distance, right? We're able to use our logic and our emotions together to navigate the situation productively, right? And in a way that problem solves effectively. Um, so again, really just, just taking, you know, taking this back down to one core idea, which is that balance is going to look different for every person. Um, and that's why it's really important to really work with somebody who understands you and understands your kiddo um, so that you're not trying to apply these blanket coping mechanisms, right? Like if you Google coping mechanisms or like, you know, stress management strategies on Google, you're going to find like hundreds and hundreds of things that could you know, could work. Um, so how do you figure out what will work, right? And that's all a question of developing your self-awareness and knowing what your body needs in the moment. Um, of course, the other piece is practicing, right? Turning, you know, turning, you know, tasks into habits takes, you know, repetition and doing it over and over. And, and you know, you develop self-awareness by practicing. And of course, and you develop, you know, practices, um, self-regulation practices by practicing um, and making them, you know, part of, you know, part of routine, right? Part of habit, um, making them almost second nature. Um, finally, I think, you know, 
we, through all of this, right, through all of this discussion of self-regulation, co-regulation, emotions, all this good stuff, we're really also recognizing now, and in particular, as we're, you know, moving through, you know, pandemic living, right, moving into what will hopefully soon be post-pandemic living, we're recognizing that child development and mental health is related in, you know, it's, it, you can't really separate it. So a kiddo with, you know, good mental health, um, you know, strategies with good mental health in general and with coping mechanisms, self-awareness, ability to self-regulate, um, you know, a strong support network for co-regulation. Um, their, you know, their development is affected by this for the better, right? Because they're resilient. They're able to work through frustration. Um, you know, they're optimized for learning, right? They're focused, they're self-aware, they're able to self-advocate all in a way that leads to improved outcomes in child development, right? And a kiddo who is struggling with their mental health, you know, it's no wonder that their, you know, child development or their developmental milestones at least could be affected, right? Their resilience is lower, um, maybe their motivation is lower, um, you know, tolerance for frustration, um, all of these things, right? Um, so recognizing the interplay here, right, between child development and mental health is crucial. And it's crucial for, you know, it's always been crucial, but it's in particular, extra crucial right now as we are emerging from, you know, pandemic, pandemic life, right, moving into post pandemic life. And so, you know, in saying all of this, we're really saying that self care for kids is vital, right. So, you know, we often talk about self care for parents, because we're burnt out, right, we're burning the candle at both ends self care for professionals, because you know, we work hard. Um, but self care for kids too, right, because our kids are now, of course, because they've just lived through a pandemic, but also even before this, our kids are, you know, learning so much, right? They're learning to manage their emotions. They're learning they're learning everything for the first time versus grownups who are learning a lot of their lessons for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, right? Time. So for them, it's much harder, right? And in particular for our kids who are neurodivergent, you know, they are working much harder than, you know, we often give them credit for. So self-care as a proactive way to manage stress um, and help develop those if then relationships for big emotions or even just regular, you know, neutral emotions is really important and it really does go a long way when it comes to optimizing outcomes, right? Like we talked about child development um, and it goes, you know, far beyond that as well. Um, finally, I think where I'll leave this episode at is that when we're talking about, you know, trauma, right, and our kids and the trauma that our kids have gone through. So, you know, whether that's life in a pandemic, whether that's, you know, divorce, domestic violence, you know, challenges at school, right? Difficult situations, you know, whether that's, you know, bullying, whatever it is, whatever trauma, you know, we are working with, with our particular kiddo, we need to remember that, you know, it doesn't have to be mutually agreed upon to be valid. So, you know, you may have kids in your family unit, right? That live in the same household, you know, one experienced trauma in one particular setting and the other kiddo did not experience that same trauma, but yet was in that same setting. Um, we don't need to have mutual agreement in order to, you know, show up, hold space, co-regulate, um, and work through these traumas with our kiddos. Um, you know, the fact that a brother and a sister who lived in the same house can, you know, emerge as adults, only one of, you know, 50% of them had trauma, the other 50% didn't, right? One did, one didn't. That's not unheard of, right? And that's all because, you know, my perception is my reality in every situation. So of course we can work on, you know, 
making sure our perception is balanced. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's important for us to know too, um, as educators, right, as parents, as professionals, that, you know, you may be working with a group of kiddos who all experience the same thing, and one of them perceives that as, you know, a traumatic experience. Um, and so as a result, right, the, you know, the um, therapeutic approach will be different, maybe the educational approach, maybe maybe even just the connection will need to be different. Um, and all of this is, you know, to be expected. And all of this is, of course, um, quite valid, right, and important for us to keep in mind as we are supporting, you know, our kiddos through the process of co-regulation, um, you know, ultimately moving towards self-regulation and doing so from, you know, the starting point of a really strong connection and attachment. Thanks for listening to another episode of Science Drives Wellness Steers. It's been amazing hanging out and I am so grateful for your willingness to let me in. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a rating and share, share, share. Until next time, stay well, stay grounded, and keep letting science drive your habits while you let the pursuit of wellness and balance steer you in the right direction.